It was nerve wracking to go ahead and to work in an environment where every day, especially towards the end of the Lehman Brothers debacle, that we ended up having um, oh, folks from CNBC basically on top of their vans trying to look into our training room. Welcome to the Business Class Podcast, where we dive into conversations with alumni, students, faculty, and staff from the University of Dayton School of Business Administration. You'll hear career advice, conversations about ethical decision-making in business, and listen to stories from life on the UD campus. Here's your host, Dean Trevor Collier. Hello, and welcome to the Business Class Podcast. Today, we are joined by two 1979 University of Dayton graduates, Doug Lyons and Mike Mance. Doug recently retired from a long career at the EW Scripps Company, where he most recently served as Senior Vice President, Controller, and Treasurer. Mike is a sector specialist with SIT Investment Associates in Minneapolis after holding senior positions at Bloomberg, Lehman Brothers, and American Express earlier in his career. Thanks for joining me today, gentlemen. Pleasure to be here, Trevor. Nice to be here, Trevor. Thanks for having us along. Of course, I'm excited. So I, I normally start the podcast conversation with a discussion of my guest's current or most recent position, but let's start this one back in 1975 to help our, our listeners understand why we are recording this conversation with, with both of you. So my, Mike, I'll start with you. Can you tell us your first memory of Doug Lyons? So we ended up going ahead and bunking together at Stewart Hall. And I remember going ahead and coming up with my mom and my grandmother. And Doug was there and uh, he was from Erlanger, Kentucky. Nicest guy. And I said, this is going to be great. This is going to be absolutely great. And so we had our wonderful little room with two beds. We had a portable TV. We had Doug's stereo system. We were pretty well set, and uh, and that started a friendship that now has been going on for forty eight years, just about this time. So it's it's been really great. And so you guys didn't know each other had that that first day at campus was the first time you met. Absolutely, first yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if at the time they did anything to choose roommates or anything like that. I think you just got paired up. I think you're right, Doug. I think you're absolutely right, because I had no idea at all. Um, you didn't either. And so we just, yeah. uh, we were just. No we social just... media. No social media. So they <laughs> like, send you a link to any, you know. So it, it's so much different than it is today. Uh, all my kids knew their roommates and who they were and had been, you know, talking and texting for months. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, what's what's your first memory of Mike? Uh, I just remember Mike, you know, Mike being in the room and, uh, you know, with his mother and grandmother and uh, knew that he could tell that he was a really nice guy just because the way, you know, they greeted us when I walked in with my mother and father. And uh, I remember us going out like the first night and having a good time, and, you know. We ended up living together most of the four years. That's right. That's exactly right. And so yeah. here, here we are almost 50 years later, right? 48, according to Mike. How have you guys stayed connected over this period of time? 
Uh, it's been a lot easier with social media, but, you know, for a long time, um, you know, Mike was back in Columbus, and so we weren't all that far apart. And then as lives and everything took over, you know, never completely lost touch, uh, but with social media and Facebook and all that stuff, it's been a lot easier to do that. And then, um, you know, for a lot of the last 12 years, you know, the Business School Advisory Council was always a good time to get together for a weekend. Yeah, I'd say that it's it's really the same thing. I mean, I mean, we would we take trips together. I remember we ended up going into Toronto one time, and we we would end up going ahead and getting together on campus. Um, but but just like Doug has said, I mean, Doug ended up going ahead and obviously coming out to my wedding. I was in his, and there we we had a chance to go ahead and interact a lot over the years. I'll tell you, though, when I ended up going into leaving Columbus and then ended up moving different places, it was more difficult. We would get together through social media for sure. But the opportunity to go ahead and get together with the SBA council was great because I knew for a fact at least twice a year we'd get the chance to go ahead and hang out just like old times. And uh, and it was great. We'd always probably we'd always be at the same hotel. We would always end up going and hanging out and going to those same haunts that we used to go to, namely over to Milano's and and getting a cheesesteak sub or going ahead and doing stuff like that and going to basketball games over at UD Arena. So it's uh, it's been great and had the chance. And and, and Doug's got a great thing going on. I mean, he probably hasn't talked about that, but he and his family have probably gone to every single major league baseball stadium in the in the in frankly in the world. I think he's gone both the ones in the United States and in Canada. And I remember one year he came to Minnesota to go to Target Field and he brought the kids with him and it was it was fun to go ahead and to see how much they had grown. You know, Grant is a Grant's an alumni of UD and went through their accounting department and so it, it's been fun to go ahead and to keep track of him and his family over the years. I actually had Grant in class. So um, we've, got a, we've got a connection there yeah. as well and chatted with him about what he was going to do with, with grad school. So great, great, great kid. So let's talk about your professional careers for a little bit. And, and then we can, we can come back to more stories about your time at UD a little bit later. As I mentioned in the opener, Doug, you, you recently retired from the EW Scripps company. For those not familiar with Scripps, can you tell us a little bit more about the company, its networks, and um, some of the things our listeners might be familiar with? Uh, sure, Trevor. Um, historically, Scripps was a newspaper company. That's how it started. Uh, the first newspaper was in Cleveland, Ohio, the Cleveland uh, Press, and which is now closed. Uh, and then expanded through Ohio and across the U.S. with a variety of newspapers. That was primarily the major business of the company for a long time. As other forms of media uh, came to the forefront, we would be involved in that. So we owned radio stations for a while uh, as the radio industry consolidated, got out of that in the interim we had started television stations 
uh, owned, uh, I think, the first television station in both Cincinnati and Cleveland. Um, and then uh, started up, well, we own cable television systems and then cable TV networks. Uh, some people might be familiar with Home and Garden Television and the Food Network. We started Home and Garden and bought the Food Network a few few years later. Those have since been um, sold off to Discovery, and you know Discovery's done a lot of different things since then. Um, that was a very good investment. I think a couple hundred million dollars turned into about fifteen billion. Um, yeah, I'll say that's a good and then, one. <laughs> and then now have significantly expanded our presence in uh, television, and that's the primary focus of the company today uh, is owning local television stations. Um, I think we reach about 78% or Scripps reaches about 78% of the U.S., both through stations that are affiliated with, um, you know, the, each of the four major television networks and stations that they use to dis uh, distribute programming. Um, so if anyone is familiar with ION networks, um, all of that programming and that is done through a series of the local stations across the U.S., so your LinkedIn account says you started with Scripps in, in 1985, which means you, you worked there for almost 40 years. That that kind of longevity at one company is is really rare today. What was it or what what is it about Scripps that that kept you there for so long? And, and how did your role change over that period of time? Uh, my role changed a fair amount, although it was always in the accounting and finance arena. I started in... Um, one of the divisions uh, kind of providing financial analysis and uh, kind of lead type uh, analytical work for the senior vice president of the division. Then it moved into more and more of a corporate type role, both through uh, financial reporting and SEC compliance when we went public and then the controllership. And, you know, ultimately and added tax and treasury to my responsibilities. Uh, company changed a lot over the time. Uh, in my last few years, I think I was, I think we borrowed about $3 billion to uh, buy various businesses. Um, as to what kept me there, I think it's the people and the culture. Um Scripps likes to say that it has a no asshole rule. <laughs> and so if, if you are, you are let go pretty quickly. So I, I think that was a big part of it. The other is that as I was more involved in the company and a little bit the business, I thought that the mission aligned with some of my um, personal objectives, particularly with the, as both cable television news and social media came to the forefront as a uh, means of distributing information. Uh, I became pretty disillusioned with that. And the fact that we tried to provide objective, non 
as much as you can non-biased information and not the greatly distorted view you get from there. Um, I, I think that really aligned with my personal uh, beliefs. And, you know, I'm a person who is very sad to see the death of uh, newspapers because I think that that will be a major negative development as far as the culture and everything within the United States because you're going to lose the ability to hold local governments and local officials accountable because no one is going to do that work. Yeah, I, I think I think many of our current students will will relate to your sort of finding finding a, a company that that the company's mission sort of fits with your own personal ethos. That that seems to be a very common a common theme on this generation of students that really want to find a company uh, that's doing things that fit with with their their own personal beliefs, um, which which I think is something we we also talk a lot about at at UD. Mike, you also had a, a very successful career, um, moved around uh, just a little bit more than than Doug. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about your, your current role at, at SIT? Sure, Trevor. Yeah. Um, SIT Investment Associates got started back in 1981 and was one of the first minority-owned investment management firms in the United States. Um the guy who ended up going ahead and starting this firm, frankly, had worked in the same organization that I did at American Express, uh, going ahead and heading a group that ended up working in institutional money management and decided to go ahead and to set out on his own. Um, took, I want to say, $200 million in assets, and we've grown it now to over $16 billion. So it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great organization, uh, a wonderful culture. Um, and so I end up working with one other person on healthcare investing here within our firm for equities. And we kind of run the gamut. We're, we're uh, basically a growth oriented money manager, but we manage assets across just about every market cap known to man. We have small cap products, we have mid cap products, we have large cap products, we have products for both domestic and international investors. So, it's a it's a really interesting place and a very very large uh, sandbox to go ahead and to play in, um, and I think that there's probably a place for just about anything and everything within uh, the markets that will find their way over to us. So we try to go in to take a long term perspective on how we end up looking at investing. We say that we don't we don't date stocks; we marry them. And so our uh, our uh, our time duration is probably longer than you'd see for too many firms, but but that's the way we manage, and we've done well over the years, and we're happy campers. Uh, I think we punch well above our weights, so it's a it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I, I think I've been able to go ahead and to take experiences from a lot of previous firms, and been able to go ahead and mold it into a position that works well, and and. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it, it's a great environment. It's a lot of fun. Um, I think about the different opportunities that students at UD have to go ahead and to experience experiential learning through many of the different organizations. And 
And, and I think that's, that's great. God only knows. I wish that those opportunities had been available when I was over at UD. Uh, but uh, I think that it's, uh, it's a great place to go ahead and to hone your craft. And, and certainly that's the same type of orientation we're taking here is, as we start to evolve and start taking a look to frankly hire younger people to go ahead and to take slots within our firm um, and try to go ahead and to steep them in the culture so that they're successful as they go along as well. So you, you mentioned some uh, picking things up uh, along the way in your career from some of the other companies. Uh, you know, some of these companies you work for, these are, these are big names, household names. Can you tell us a little bit about your career progression and, and why you made some of the moves uh, across different employers? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I started my career at Bank One Asset Management Corp Company, and uh, it was essentially a trust company at Bank One. The used to be an extremely large organization with a lot of different locations around the United States. Got bought by, uh, by Chase, and then J.P. Morgan ended up gobbling up Chase. But the, you know, it was uh, it was the first job that I ended up having in investment management. And in some cases, it was one of the most fun because I think all of us were learning at the same time. But uh, but that's kind of where I started honing my craft and, and then ended up moving over to an organization. It was a, frankly a larger trust company in St. Louis for a company called Boatman's Trust. And uh, that's where I started working more on technology issues, which ended up kind of being the bailiwick I ended up using. Um, and uh, from there, I got the chance to go ahead and work for an extremely large organization, American Express Financial Advisors here in Minneapolis. And, and, and here was, at the time, I want to say that American Express was one of the top 10 investment management firms in the United States. And so we managed well over $100 billion in assets, which at the time, if you think about it, was a pretty large sum. This is back in the mid-90s or so. And so had the chance to go ahead and work on extremely large mandates, hone my craft around portfolio management, got the chance to work with a number of different type of products, Trevor, whether it would end up being traditional long-only mutual funds, or institutional <clears throat> accounts also started working on hedge funds. And so it was a very, very, it was a wide and varied experience that I got to take a look at a number of different products, try to figure out the ones I like most, the ones I like least. <clears throat> and that kind of served me well as I ended up working on more management issues around a, a company called Ingeman Asset Management out in Pasadena. Stayed there for a few years. Um, and then got the chance to work on Wall Street at Lehman Brothers, where my position was a lot like what I was doing with the hedge funds. We were managing, uh, call it risk, on a trading desk. Think of it almost like what's called proprietary trading. And I uh, had the chance to go ahead and work on long, short products, kind of using the firm's capital to go ahead and try to eke out as many returns as we possibly could within the healthcare space. I probably should back up a little bit and say that when I was working with American Express, that's where I got the bug to start working in the healthcare sector. And um, really, during my career in one form or another, ever since that time, and that was 1995, I've been working on the healthcare sector and investing in that sector. 
So worked uh, with Lehman Brothers until Lehman Brothers was no longer a thing. And uh, got the chance to work with Bloomberg Industries to go ahead and to start a healthcare. Um, think about it almost as a healthcare sleep where we were doing independent uh, healthcare, <clears throat> excuse me, research along a multi-industry platform called Bloomberg Industries. I got the notion that I wanted to go ahead and come back to Minnesota because it was it was time to come back to the Midwest. And I uh, ended up going ahead and joining SIT Investments about 10 years ago. So, so Mike, can I bring you back to, to probably a, a bad memory for you? But but you, you said I was with Lehman Brothers until Lehman Brothers was no more. <laughs> and you give us a, just a little snippet of what, what that was like to be on the inside when that happened? Oh, Trevor, that was mind-boggling. I'm going to say probably in March of 2008, we started kind of getting rumblings on what was to come and the real estate issues that we had because Lehman Brothers had such a large real estate portfolio. Um, And um, it was nerve-wracking to go ahead and to work in an environment where every day, especially towards the end of the Lehman Brothers debacle that we ended up having um, folks from CNBC basically on top of their vans trying to look into our trading room. That's crazy. It was nuts. We still function. We still ended up going ahead into working. Um, Counterparties would end up being a little reluctant to go ahead and to trade with us towards the very end but we still managed to go ahead and through it, get through it. I think that bunker mentality ended up going ahead and making a lot of us stronger. We figured there's no way we could ever end up going ahead to doing anything quite as strenuous as what we were doing. But we ended up going ahead and working through. And I'd say that a lot of the folks that I ended up working with on that desk are still some of my best friends. Um, and, uh, and I think that we all ended up going ahead to learning from it. Um, I think that probably in one form or another, each of us ended up going ahead and just scrutinizing management probably more than we may have done in the past. And certainly as I ended up moving over to Bloomberg, which is an extremely well-managed company, uh, I could end up going ahead and differentiating and going ahead and seeing the difference that good management and sound investments end up making and going ahead and to kind of going ahead and giving a difference between the firms that do well and the firms that do not. So, yeah, it was a crazy environment. Uh, and I'm glad that that's 15 years in the past. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm sure it's pretty, pretty traumatic at the time, but glad you you made it through to the other side. And, and, and like you said, sounds like you're much stronger for having experienced it. Okay, let's bounce back to UD. What, um, Doug, we'll, we'll start with you. What drew you to enroll at UD? How did you first hear about UD and, and what made you decide to go there for college? Uh, how I first heard about UD was basketball. Um, of course. Uh, so, you know, mid-70s, early 70s, UCLA was always the, the team in college basketball. And Probably some of my first exposure when I started thinking about colleges to UD was watching the triple overtime game in the NCAA tournament. Um, 
beyond that, you know, I think times were different. I enrolled at UD without ever visiting campus. Um, I was the first person in our family, not just immediate, but extended, to actually go away to college. And I was going all the way away of like 60 miles. <laughs> um, but, you know, times were different. I, I think I got some pieces in the mail. Um, and anyone else in our family that had gone to school had went to Northern Kentucky or, uh, I think basically just Northern Kentucky. Um, and I, there were just some things in that, that, that drew me there. Um, unlike some other students that were at UD from around the area, I didn't go to one of the Catholic high schools, um, in Northern Kentucky, um, went to a public school. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I kind of actually think if it wasn't for the basketball games that I had seen that I don't know if that's where I would have ended up. Hmm. It was a great choice. It was a weird way, uh, kind of an odd way to get there. But, um, at the time, um, I don't think it was terribly uncommon either. Yeah. Mike, how about you? So I was looking at a number of different schools, Trevor, and UD ended up going into sending a lot of information. And so when I ended up going into boiling down my choices, I said, well, let's go ahead and pop one over to see what the university is all about. And at the time, I was really thinking that I was going to go into law. So political science was the area that I was looking at most. And they set up visits for me to visit with uh, professors in political science. And I'm, I think that in the, on the, on the schedule, it was probably a 30 minute conversation. The guy I spoke with Norm Fogle was, uh, was one of the, one of the professors over at UD at the time. And we were supposed to speak for about a half hour and we ended up speaking for two and a half hours and just went everywhere. It was, it was fantastic. So, I said, wow, that's that's amazing. And we had so many things to go ahead and think about in common, how we ended up taking a look at politics and what was going on in the country. And that was great. They put me up at Mary at Mary Crest. And and so um, I don't know how anybody knew about this, but I was just kind of in my room. And this is this is late, I want to say, in the, in the session. Well, anyway, I get a I get a knock on my door. And um, I opened it up, guys outside, and said, and he said, I, I, I know that you're, you're just kind of here, I think, on a visit, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, my friends and I are going to go on over to, uh, to the student union. There's a concert going on. You think you'd like to come? And I said, uh, well, sure. <laughs> and we ended up going over to this jazz concert, which was my genre at the time. It was great. I come back and, well, I had visits scheduled for other places and I just canceled. I said, I think this is where I'm going to school. Bye. Yeah, that was it. Love it. And so uh, that was uh, that was the whole idea behind it. I, for one, did not know that much about the basketball team. Um, that wasn't the thing. I got to know it for sure. But, but yeah, it was just the idea, the interaction with both the faculty 
And folks that just ended up going ahead and saying, why don't you just come with us? And said, yeah, I think this is the place I think I want to go. So that's it. I mean, I, I hear I hear stories like that, Mike, and today often that, that students – you know, we'll have students from other parts of the country that are coming to Ohio to, to intentionally visit other universities that they think they want to go to. And they say, well, we'll just stop by UD while we're there. And they go, oh, my gosh, I was just blown away by the 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 culture, the the supportive environment, the the way people just sort of make you feel at home the minute you step on campus. And they said, we weren't we weren't thinking about this place. We just kind of stopped because we're coming through. But now you know, heading home, this is the leader of the pack. Uh, yeah. And so I, I, I love, I love those stories. We, we try really hard to get students to come on campus because, you know, we can talk about it and, 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 and show you pictures, but you, you, you've really got to experience it to understand what it feels like to be here. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our alums, when they think about their time at UD, they identify with a, with a house or a street on campus. I know you, you guys met in the, in the dorms, but is, is there a, a house or a street in the student neighborhood that that sort of gives you really fond memories of, of your time at UD? Doug, you want to take it? Uh, sure. I Although you might remember the exact address, but we lived uh, something like 443 Key Favor. I think that's it. I think that's <laughs> something it. like that. And a couple of years ago, I went by and the house was still there. <laughs> uh which really shocked me because when we lived in it it, it was not in great shape yeah. um michael and i had uh an upstairs bedroom in it and the windows didn't fully close if you remember <laughs> uh, there was probably about a two inch gap between the bottom of the window and the windowsill and I can't remember if I don't think that that's the year the wind the Ohio River froze solid, or I I think it might have been the year of the the winter of the blizzard. That, but either way, it was freezing in there. <laughs> I mean, we we had to go out and get like you know below zero sleeping bags and stuff just to stay a little bit warm. But, if, I mean, if we're, it was great to sit out on the roof and everything in the fall and the spring and roof of the porch and it was fun. But man, that that winter was that that was crazy. It wasn't the year the river froze because that's the year we shut down classes for like eight days and you pretty much had to stay in Marycrest the whole time. Mm-hmm. Well, because for any, they, any they perspective students more. listening. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Doug, but I just wanted any prospective students listening. We, we fixed the window problem at 433. <laughs> you don't need zero degree sleeping bags anymore. We, we've got we've got great HVAC in, in all the places. You can live I mean, that is just that's a memory that won't go away. Oh, <laughs> uh, but, but, man, but, but and, 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 and to be fair, it wasn't university owned at the time. Ah. No, no, it was not. Um, and we had, we had, um, uh, non-student neighbors mm-hmm. oh, really? next door to us. Yes. That, that was at a time when you still had, uh, people that had lived in those houses for years and still had it and still had their house. So there was an elderly couple that lived next to us 
And I remember, I remember one time being outside, and he goes, "Hey, if you guys are going to have a party, uh, I can buy beer as long as you give me one." Because <laughs> his wife wouldn't let, his wife didn't want him to drink. That's I think I may know the answer to this question, and Mike already kind of kind of gave his answer, I think. But if if you had one meal on or near campus, where would you eat? Today. Or we'll, then we'll do we'll do both then and then and now. Uh, now probably uh, now probably Pine Club, unaffordable at the time. Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> or Milano's. Yeah, yeah. For me, hands down, it, it was Milano's cheesesteak subs with onions, tomatoes, provolone cheese. And and to this day, I haven't found a sub that has that type of steak. Was just amazing. It's one o'clock in the morning. They're still open. You go in for the sub. You just chow down. It's just awesome. So that is... And Milano's was nothing like it is today. Oh, not even close. No, no. No. no, I mean, it was like a little shotgun shack type of a place <laughs> walked in and you had a counter and they had the pizza oven and that behind it there wasn't any room to walk around once you place your order it was tiny <laughs> it was it was no. so mike you, you mentioned a, a professor that helped get you to ud uh, yeah. do either of you have professors from while you were here that that impacted your your life after ud oh god yeah um Margaret Carnes was also a professor over in the political science department. And, and as I started going through it, I knew that international relations was the area that I wanted to go ahead and pursue most. She was a rock star. I mean, we ended up going to a model United Nations conference uh, in New York. And we were over at the United Nations building and everything. And and, you know, folks were coming in and there were a ton of different schools that were there. But and we said, we're, we're from UD. We're going to rule this thing. So I think I became the, the, the president of the Organization for African Unity and had a bunch of folks. And we, we, just, we just had a great time. But she was, I mean, international investing is an area that I've been working in for many years. And uh, I think that some of the things that I ended up going ahead and learning from Dr. Carnes ended up going ahead and helping me a ton towards understanding the difference on how business is done internationally yeah. and how it's done here in the States. So you need to be able to go ahead and make that differentiation if you're going to be a successful investor. Um, so I'm going to say Margaret Carnes was just, uh, she was wonderful. And uh you know, you, you, Doug, you, or Mike, you talked about sort of wishing you had some of the experiential learning that we have now in the school of business. But I, I think the political science department was an early adopter. I mean, model United Nations, that, that's experiential learning. You know, they, they do trips to to Columbus, to the Ohio State House and, and, and mm-hmm. D.C. So uh, they've been doing a lot of that um, similar to some of the things we do in the school of business. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very, very strong department. And uh good folks all around, everything from, you know, we had props that would end up going into taking us to political conventions, um, to different international forums. 
And I mean, budgets were tight, Trevor. Yeah. This was no, this was no small deal. But you know, you get a bunch of kids in a car, you go to the national black political, uh, to the national black political convention down in Cincinnati, or you get a bunch of kids to go ahead and get in cars to go on out to New York for the model and the the, the model United Nations conferences. So yeah. I think that spirit, to be perfectly honest with you, pretty well permeates across the entire university because, yeah. again, I think if you look at all of the different organizations, and all of the different opportunities that the kids have, whether or not it's, you know, the, the Hanley Center or the Entrepreneurial Center, or, you know, the, good Lord, the student-run portfolios and, I mean, yeah, I, I'm sure that a lot of universities have kind of woken up that that's probably a better way to go ahead and prepare the students for what the real world will look like. But, I mean, we've been doing it for 20 years. We've been doing it for an awfully long time. And uh, I think that that, frankly, gives our students a greater sense of maturity, a greater sense of how business works. And I think our students come out hungrier and frankly, more successful. At least that's what I've seen so far in the ones that we've hired. I had the chance to hire over at Holmberg and the ones that I ended up going and interacting in other areas. It was the professor advisor, but we did a, a business simulation that was, I think, sponsored by Emory University in Atlanta. Um, I still remember the trip that we, you know, the group of us, probably seven or eight, took uh, to Atlanta for the finals in that. Um, I can't remember who led that at the time. I can't help you out. I'm sorry. <laughs> before my before my time. Yeah, it, it was interesting because it was all computerized, you know, and you're you're doing this computer simulation in 1979. <laughs> it seemed rather uh, uh, ahead of its time. We still, I mean, we still do simulations. I imagine that they look a little bit different, but uh, we I do. would imagine they do. <laughs> so Doug, your, your son was here. Like I said, I had your son Grant in, in class yeah. here not, not that long ago. How was his experience different than yours at, at UD? Um, I think the experiential learning w was a big difference. His, the way he got to UD was also different. You know, there's campus visits and, um, spending time on campus. Although he actually told us where he was going to go to college when he was seven years old. <laughs> and what, and what he was going to major in and what he was going to do. And that is pretty much exactly what he's done. Um, that That is different. I think that there are a lot of other activities and things around campus that are different than when we were there. Um, Maybe because I wasn't as exposed to them, but he did uh, some improv stuff and, and skits with a group that I don't know if they still do it called Full Circle. Uh, he met some of his best friends at UD doing that um, and just a lot of other organizations and things that he was involved with 
at the time that that we didn't really have and of course you know um the dorms aren't all the guys stuck up in stewart and founders and that anymore um so i think that that adds something to the experience when all the dorms are you know co-ed by four and the, the like because it it probably tames things down a little bit because you don't have all the guys thrown together in one big building up on a hill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what recommendations would you all have for, for current students or, or young alumni as they're starting their careers? I be, think... true to, be true to yourself. No, Kind of know what you want. Don't take a job based on pay. Do it because it aligns with what you want to do and your values. And um, you will be happier for doing that. Um, Money will find its way to you if you pursue what you're happy doing. I have never met anyone who was happy in life who every job they took was because they made a little more money. I think that that's probably the soundest advice that you can end up giving folks. And it, and it's a difficult thing for young people to go ahead to grasp, right? Because <clears throat> I want to go ahead and to get a job you know, peers say the best way to go ahead and to figure you're successful is the amount of money that you earn. Um, and there's a lot of pressure, I think, to go ahead and to make that choice. I agree with Doug. If you find out, <clears throat> take time to understand who you are. I think that's that's probably the most important thing. Um, what makes you happy? What gets you jazzed? What you don't like? Um And to the extent that you can do this early in your career, kind of plot a chart to make sure that you're being, as Doug said, true to yourself and who you are in trying to go ahead and find that job that will end up going ahead and giving you a lot of love. I think the beauty of it, too, is that early on as you're coming out of school, this is also the time to experiment. Um, You know, you you you're you're your business career is going to be extremely long and take a chance. That's what I would say. I mean, take a chance on what you think would end up going ahead into making you happiest and most fulfilled because early on you can end up going ahead and going a number of different directions. Find yourself later on in life where you're, you know, where you're closer to where you want to be, but, it's important to be able to go ahead and to make those, to make those, let's call it investments in taking a look at different type of jobs, uh, different type of, 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 of activities that will end up going into helping you know better as you go on, you know, what you like and what you don't like. And I also think that it's important to work for a period of time before going ahead and going after graduate degrees. Um, a lot of folks end up going ahead and coming in, work a year, work two years, move on to graduate degrees. And I think that's a little bit fast. 
to me. And I'm really happy with the way that I ended up working it out, working for about five years, six years before going back to grad school. Because then I kind of understood this is really what I wanted to do. Um, And I didn't know that when I ended up going ahead and coming out out of UD. So you both. Somebody, someone once told me, and I, it's probably a quote from someone, but um, the only, you know, don't be afraid to fail. The only failure is the, the is to fail to try. And at some point in time, if you don't fail, you probably never really tried. Um, and we all fail at something at some point in time, and you know, take a chance. Anything anything else you all would like to share or, or any questions you have for me? I, I just thank you for the opportunity to talk about the school, uh, to talk about experiences. brings back a lot of great memories. Um, I, I would say that um, we have, I, I, it seems to me that the presence and, uh, and the reputation of the School of Business has only increased I mean, and I'm not going to say it's exponential, but it's still extremely significant. Yeah, anything and everything that can, anything and everything that gives a student the chance to simulate what real world business experience is, is a really good thing, Trevor. A really good thing. Um, and um, and the more that you know, the business advisory council is a wonderful opportunity to go ahead and to, to, to go ahead and impart some of those ideas. But it's also, again, I guess I keep talking about it because it is so strong, is the experiential learning opportunities. Um, anything and everything that can guide all of our students to take advantage of those opportunities is a really, really good thing. So that's where I would go ahead and to focus. And, and I know that you're committed to that. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, very happy that these are opportunities that our students end up getting. Yeah. I mean, our, our primary strategic goal in the school of business is to be a leader in experiential business education. So it, it's something that that means, you know, to continue to excel in the programs that we already have to kind of push the, push the frontier and, and offer new and, and different ways for our students to get that experience to to potentially fail in a in a low stakes environment before they graduate so that they're they're not afraid of that when they get out of here. That's great. That's great. Yep. And I don't really have anything to add and other than, you know, thanks for the opportunity to do this. And uh to, I'll just echo what Michael said. That you know Always and always available for anything university needs. Well, Doug and Mike, uh, thank you for your time chatting with me today. Thanks for for all the all the advice and support you've given the university over the years. I uh, hope we hope we get to to chat again soon. Thank you, Trevor. Thanks, Trevor. And and thanks to our listeners. I hope you all will join us again next time on the Business Class Podcast. Go Flyers! Thanks for joining us for the Business Class Podcast. If you'd like to engage with us further, please follow us on social media. Our Instagram and Facebook accounts all use the name SBA. 
You can also email the Dean's Office with questions or suggestions for future podcasts at sbadean at udayton.edu. No matter where you are on your career path, we are proud that you're part of our Dayton Flyer family.